amazing guest today is equine partnered life coach Kate Nelligan. Kate is a colleague of mine and a natural leader in my impression, who believes in the power of relinquishing inner oppression and doing the personal work it takes to be a high integrity leader. Today, she shares openly about her at times painful transition from early success as a Hollywood executive to leaving all the perceived security and status of that life for her true calling. This is the Super Givers Podcast. Um, would you be willing to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Kate Nellian, and I'm an equine partner and life and career coach based in Longmont, Colorado, which is outside of Boulder, but I also work a lot in Los Angeles, California, and at different ranches around the country. Beautiful. And for people who are learning about you for the first time, what do you most want them to know about your work? Excellent question. I think it's just that I've had a deep love and passion for horses my whole life since I was 10, and they've really been a role model and a guide for me to become the best version of myself to date. And that's something I really want to give to others and pass on. So my joy and passion and love for the horse is something that people really feel when they work with me. And it's actually something that they themselves then begin to feel as well. And it's life-changing when we are influenced by the power of unconditional love. Absolutely. And I was just thinking as you're saying that, that you know, the reason why the horse folks get a foot in the door with me is because that's what I'm all about as well. And so I, I kind of feel excited that our little mission today is to, to really represent the work we're doing and the horses in a way that, um, you know, people can find more informative and relevant than they may have before tuning in. So if you're willing to accept that challenge <laughs> with yeah. me. Yeah, I'm really, I'm just really interested in giving you a voice for them. And I'd love to hear your intro on why people should care about this at this point in time. Yeah, it's something that has always been there for us to learn from animals in general and to especially learn from horses and their unique gifts, being prey animals and and being 1,200 pounds. But it's important now because... From what I see, there's a lot of suffering happening, whether it's from what we are seeing in the news and suicide rates and school shootings and all of that. And there's really a huge opportunity for us to all improve our mental health. And for those of us that are stronger and more confident in that space, that that's really an opportunity for us to serve and give back. And I feel horses are pretty strong creatures, uh, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. And certainly they go through their challenges as well, but they are great teachers for us. And right now I think we need a new teacher. I think we have done a lot of the old, you know, listening to books or, or lectures and it's very much on this mental level. And now that we can be outside in nature, learning from a 1200 pound creature is really powerful for us to start to experience ourselves differently and kind of get outside of our egos and what we think we know and actually be open to another species telling us and showing us ways that we can be that are that are better that are just better versions and updates and we just 
we don't need to have the mental health issues that we have if we're willing to seek help. I love that. Yeah. I wrote this question down and I'm actually, yeah, I'd love to talk it over with you. If, if it were possible, almost like a matrix style download, if it were possible for humans to tap in this way, what do you wish that all humans could automatically download from the horse realm? The ability to love without attachment and to stay incredibly present in the moment and grounded to the earth. Like those three, to be fully loving, fully present and just really grounded, like feeling strong in our bodies and ourselves. What do you imagine this would change about our world? I think it would really help us relate to each other in a whole new way where we are less judgmental and more accepting. And from that place, so much is possible, right? When we're not blaming others or ourselves, um, comparing and despairing, it's just we would have a more connected society, which is really just a more loving society. And we would choose differently. Like we would choose jobs and passions that light us up instead of things that we think we should do. Horses don't do things they think they should do. Horses do what feels good. And so there's so much for us in that place of what would we do if we allowed ourselves to feel good, to allow ourselves to feel pleasure and to be lit up from the inside. I think that would just be a game changer in all of our choices. Hmm. So here's, here's something interesting. Last night I got a chance to speak to a graduate level business class um, about some of the stuff in my world and, and the way I'm doing leadership. And I'm starting to be a little bit more bold in saying that I'm really like studying and studying and exploring what it means to be oppression informed. And this is something I'm really curious about with what you just said. How do we make room for an oppression lens with the belief that people can do what feels good. So tell me how you view oppression, because I think I might look at it a little differently. I think of, of internal oppression. How are you seeing, what are you seeing as external oppression though? Is that what you're meaning? Um, I think, I think great. I think great to delineate that. Let's take one at a time because that way it'll be a little easier to track. Why don't you speak to the internal piece if that feels more accessible? Yeah, so internal impression is for me is the is the real oppression. It's the ego saying that we can't, we should, we have to, um, we need to, and it's it's the I'm better than or I'm less than that runs for so many of us. And until we realize that we're not, we're all equals and we're all unique in our own ways at the same time. But that internal oppression is like where, as a coach, I'm interested in changing that conversation, changing people's internal stories that they're telling themselves so that there isn't that lie and there isn't that, um, like the stuff that just feels bad when we start to tell ourselves these, these stories that we really don't know are true, right? Like I love the inquiry work of like, is that even true? And then... Yeah. So that's the, in, that's the oppression piece, which is like, we, if we believed that we could feel good, if we believed that we are, um, of the nature of joy and love, we could start to live that way. And we would feel good. Love coming out of us feels good. And that's why there's this 
element of how do we grow that, right? How do we grow that inside of ourselves? And then one of the ways is to start to have those internal stories minimize and then disappear. Yeah. And what's been powerful about your witnessing of horses as a partnership for that process? I don't know how horses do it, but they have a way to reflect stories. Like when we go in and we start to do, let's say an exercise in the ground with a horse and all of a sudden our stories come up, our default programming, which we learned from parent society, whatever it may be. And there's the, I go to say hello to horse. I don't get a hello and I'm rejected. Right. And then processing like, why I'm always rejected and why doesn't this being likes me and do I like myself? Do other people like me? And there's the immediate stories that we're aware of that happens just because of the nature of working with horses in this capacity. And, and so we have kind of this light that shines on it in the conversation where when we're coaching, as you know, and it's asking those questions, like, how is that serving you? You know, (laughs) what is that story? Where did it come from? And then what's the story you want there? Like what, you know, what if it's that horse is just eating, right? Like what it, and it has nothing to do with me and I don't take it personally. And so, and then it's practicing that and it's not just knowing that that's one story, but then each time you work with a horse knowing, oh yeah, I don't, that story's not running anymore. I can see that horse is just eating. And it can be then we apply that to, to work, right? Um, my boss doesn't hate me. He's just in a meeting right now, right? <laughs> it's like there's, there's ways that we can, this stuff starts to translate. But um, how do horses surface stories so fast? Like, fast? Uh, you know, I think it's just the nature of experiential learning in many ways. And also the fact that they, um, they know what we need. Somehow horses know what we need. And it's amazing. So the external oppression is where I'm curious, because I don't know if I have like an answer to that. Like when you say oppression, are you saying like when there's external oppression because of societal? Systemic. Yeah. 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 And maybe that's, maybe that's a separate pathway for conversation. I think you, I I love the way you really address that. Um, I like the way that you call that internal oppression, because I think even that is serving in the process of recentering somebody which is you know at the heart i think of liberation is mm-hmm. to help people live from the center of who they are rather than as a referential point to the supremacist center mm-hmm. that makes sense so it sounds like what, where you're coming from is being able to identify sources of internal oppression and start there yeah, because in my training and my master's in spiritual psychology, we have we have a belief that is, you know, outer reality is a reflection of inner reality, which for me is really that, you know, even if I'm living in poverty, am I seeing poverty or am I seeing connection? Because there's so much beautiful studies like in the movie Happy about communities that have a lot less than we do in the States, in, you know, the United States that have so much more connection and happiness because they live as a community and they, so they may not have the material things that, that we have, but they have so much presence and joy and love and connection and community. And that's where their joy is, you know? So I think it's very interesting, you know, when we really start to operate with that belief system of outer reality is a reflection of inner reality, then what is going on inside and what do we need to be focused on? Yeah. And it sounds like, so people understand, what you are saying is that 
horses can provide an incredibly clean and magically efficient reflection of inner reality. They can, yes. they can essentially stand in for that outer reality. Yes. In a way. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, I, it makes me wonder what else you're seeing in the world. In general. No, I was going somewhere with that, but I'm, I'm trying to think of what I mean. <laughs> I think in the world, there's a lot. I think that's what's so interesting. It's like what we focus on grows is my belief. You know, it's the whole wolf story of which wolf do you feed? The, the one that's telling you negative things or the one that's showing you a different path. And I feel like my whole life I've had two wolves. Like I've had the one that is always like, oh, this sucks. It's not going to work, blah, blah, blah. And it's starting to like negative future, like into, and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I can get there sometimes where I'm negatively starting to plan things. And, you know, I love the whole Brene Brown predicting control because that's a lot of what I think it is. It's like, oh, I'm just going to try to predict and control this. I feel safe. But then the other wolf where it's like, there's so much possibility. And I think that's what I see a lot in the world is the abundance. Like there's just always possibility and mm -hmm. days that are not, don't feel great. And then the next day could feel awesome. And it's the willingness to live through and be with the day that doesn't feel great or the hour that feels horrible and knowing that another hour is coming. And so it's, uh, yeah, I think there's just a lot of possibility in the world and it's really up to us how we create our realities. Like that's, that is so important, I think to me. Um, and the horses are always like, why choose suffering when there's peace here? Right. And they have a way of, of knowing how to be here in the world, but also not be right. And to really stay in states of kind of like higher consciousness so that they can feel more peace and they can feel more centered. And they're, that's, that's something that they show us, I think. I love that. It almost sounds like you are segueing me nicely into um, this riff on leadership. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on the concept, the idea that everybody is a leader today. Mm, or, yeah. do, or do you think something else? Oh, that's good. I do like that everyone's leader. We are a leader of our own lives, right? We're a leader of our day, of our hour, of our minute, and we are leaders in different roles. And so, yes, yes, we are all leaders. And then I also believe that there's a, there's a select group of people that like, deeply love leadership and want to be a leader in so many different ways and have this natural ability to organize and influence and gather and motivate people. Um, and that they're more what I'd call natural born leaders. I know a lot of people that would be happier to have decisions made for them or go with the flow and just do what they need to do. And then I know a lot of people who they really want to pick. They want to make the decisions. They want to plan things out. They want to move things forward and influence and, and lead, 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 usually change of some sort. But that is what I find is that there are some people that are just more driven and passionate about leadership than others. And this season, I'm really focused on this because I'm really trying to learn from people who I think, like I told you before we started, I think there's kind of magic on, on the fringe of you know, more, more free thinking. 
um, and people that are willing to kind of be a little bit more radical. And so I see you as somebody like that, and I really respect that about you. And I just would love to know how you see even the cons the concept of leadership evolving. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And I don't even know if I see myself on the fringe, but I appreciate that reflection. And I think I think I'm learning daily, and I think it's the willingness to learn which is important as a leader. I think if we feel like we know everything, we shut ourselves off from so much. Or if we feel like we have to know everything, right, and being like an expert in something, we also can shut ourselves off from like what else is new today. Right. And the forces are evolving, and that's one thing I love paying attention to is how they're evolving and what they're learning. And it's different than it was a couple of years ago, from what I can tell, having done this work for about five years. And so are we. And so, you know, what's coming, I think, is deeper emotional intelligence and heart-centered leadership because it's going to feel good. And people want to feel good, especially at work. If you're there, you know, seven to 10 hours a day or however long, you want to stay in a space that feels good. And there's a lot of stress that happens in workplaces. And so we're going to naturally have to find ways of being that recenter us back to what feels good, what feels right. And what feels good for most people, at least everyone that I know, is connection, right? It's mm-hmm. the feeling that like I actually enjoy being in this person's company. And, um, you know, that's a, a horse herd. They're always about how do we enjoy being with each other? And sometimes it's just sharing space. That's really big for them. Um, humans don't know that yet. We think we have to do things all the time. And just sitting with someone is, is a beautiful thing. But we need leaders that are willing to slow down, willing to do less and be more. And willing to have some of these more deeper spiritual conversations that, you know, it's not the old way is not really working for us anymore. And so we have to be willing to try new things, even if it feels a little weird, even if it feels feminine, even if it feels spiritual. And, you know, there's ways that we have to like bridge into that space so that it feels safe for people to have these conversations, but we're still having them. I was just thinking of the, the, work on the polyvagal theory, which sort of like gives a scientific credibility to part of what you're saying, though it doesn't do justice to all of what you're saying. And for people who are sort of listening and thinking, yeah, that all sounds good, um, but maybe it's Pollyanna, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I want to tell you that it's, it's not. I mean, we are, we are, our nervous systems are wired for connection and safety together that connection is actually a part of safety. And that's really critical because I've seen um, a lot of our species seem to equate safety with other things. Um, Yeah. It's it's like, it's like in the, in the school, you know, arming teachers, the arming teachers discussion, right. About Mm. school safety. And our, our nervous systems will not feel safer with increased threat. <laughs> like if you bring guns into the school, you may have like an egoic construct of safety in the, and intellectually, but our nervous systems will not, you know, will not make that. It's, it's about feeling connected together. 
-hmm. It brings us safety. Anyway, it's my I love that. It's so true. And that's the thing that we also need to start talking about is the nervous system. And because it is science and, and trauma and secondary trauma in particular, which is that we very rarely talk about secondary trauma and the fact that when we watch things and experience them, our bodies, because of mirror neurons, are experiencing that as well. And it, it wears on us over time. And so I think that's a big thing is, you know, we just, there's so many beautiful studies, right, about productivity and how if you are calm and centered, there's just a way of getting through a lot more. Um, I remember I brought goats to work once as a way to introduce people to like the human animal bond concepts and, um, and animal assisted coaching. And I work with goats also in addition to horses. And it really like, I've never seen more people light up in 20 minutes than like, it, I felt like Oprah. Like I literally... <laughs> I felt like I got it, you know, and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And A, I felt great because I made people happy. And then B, you know, that I guarantee you they went back to work and they had so much energy and so much fuel. And it was so restorative that they could like pump out emails and like bring that kind of like curious, playful goat energy to their emails and their, and you know, their meetings. And so to me, it's like, our willingness to do things sometimes that are just slightly outside of our comfort zone pays off in dividends. And sometimes that really is, Hey, let me try this new weird wacky form of coaching with my team. But like, I've never heard someone say that wasn't incredibly worth it, valuable and amazing. So it's like, we just have to be willing to get outside our comfort zone sometimes and have these conversations. I didn't have conversations about trauma a few years ago or even about the nervous system, but now knowing this, it's like, critically important to our work, as you know, and then also to society for, for us to become educated about these things. Yeah. I mean, it feels like a bridge, you know, I was with Linda Kahanoff and, you know, last week and she's been doing some form of this work for the last, you know, 25 years or so. And, and she talked about how like stuff that felt intuitive back then is now being popularized in mainstream sort of science pop psychology stuff like Brene Brown and, and so forth. And so she talks about it as being a really important bridge to help people in the way that you're speaking to that we, we simply need to, whether it's, you know, goat coaching or working with horses or whatever, we need to find a way to start trusting um, different avenues towards maybe connecting more deeply with ourselves and then therefore creating more deeply connected, um, attuned communities. Is that, is that kind of a fair stretch to say? Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, we all want to feel seen, heard and loved and giving that to someone else also is something that makes us feel incredible. Right. And, and I, I know having made a lot of money and had success, I, none of it brought me the happiness that I feel when I can help someone feel loved, seen, or heard, right? And that the connection that comes from that. And I think when leaders who may have been previously attached to the material or the egoic trappings, which I know I was, honestly, for a while, um, they when they get a taste of the other happiness that can come from the connection that we're talking about, 
and the giving and the receiving of that energy, it's like, it's a game changer. And I think people know that intuitively. And then when they start to feel it, um, it, it really resets so much for people and they, they have almost like a new worldview. Totally. How, if you're willing to share, I would love to know how you moved through that layer um, or, or if you're still moving through it, if you're working with it, how did you become aware of that egoic layer and the trappings of, of um, yeah, kind of like, they're almost like seductive, right? Mm-hmm. How do you work with that for yourself? Honestly, <laughs> the horses kicked my butt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did. I was very lucky that about the time, about a couple months before I left my, you know, VP movie studio job, uh, a horse came into my life that my friend really wanted me to buy. And I was being really frugal because I knew I was leaving my job and I didn't do it. So she bought her and pretty much bought her for me. And what happened from that was just this deconditioning of, you know, all the ways that I thought I was supposed to win in life. Mm. Um, the competitive energy I had as a kid, which really came from like, my brother being born at four and, and thinking, oh my God, all the love's leaving because you know my parents can't possibly love both of us, right? And having this kind of competitive energy that started at such a young age and, and really stayed with me for a long time and, and helped propel me in my career, right? Like vice president at 31 and all that, it's awesome. And it wasn't bringing me sustainable happiness and, and, and joy and really true success. And so I had to redefine success and the horses helped me with that. And then I had to let go of this like default programming around competition um, and really step into what collaboration looked like and what um, true partnership looked like and and what was important about relationships. So that for me happened through my first horse, Felici, and she... (laughs) really got me honestly down on my knees having meltdowns in the arena when I was realizing I wanted to do this work with people. I put myself through a lot of it because I felt like I had to, from an integrity standpoint, know what this work would do <laughs> to mm-hmm. my world. Um, and it, it was amazing. I started to let go of so much of the stuff that I thought was important and then really embrace the way of the horse and become more like a horse and so it was something that, um, like, I'm so much more proud of who I am today than, than who I was back then. But, you know, we don't, we do what we know, right? Until we know better, it's hard to really make those changes. And luckily the horses know better. Yeah, it's, it's awesome that you had them as a resource and, and you were willing to listen, right? Yes. And I think it, a lot of it is remembering too, like remembering who we really are is important because when we get stuck in this place where we forget, most of us forget we even have bodies, but when we forget that, you know, we really are spiritual beings having a human experience, that that's, that's the game. Like we're not human beings that occasionally have spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings here in a human experience and life's a school. Like at least that's my belief system. And so we're here to learn. And I've always been open to learning. And luckily my my teachers evolved from just human teachers to now including animal teachers. Mm. So I, I love that. And we can, we can come back to the spirituality piece too. Um, before I forget about it though, I'd love to hear 
how your 31 year old VP self defines <laughs> success versus um, basically 10 years later now, right? Almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, in, so in a decade, what's changed about how you define success? Yeah, such a good question. I think for me, success was very much if I could prove that I was worthy of being here or that I was worthy, like if I could have the outer success, right, at 31, the title, the six-figure salary, the car, the guy, like it just literally the stuff that society would see and go, oh, well, you have, you've checked it all off, right? You've checked off all the bar, the boxes. So you must be doing something right. You must be a worthy individual. You must be smart. You must be all those things. Mm, Status. Yeah, it's all status. Yeah, exactly. And then just getting to like, why do I want some of these things? Right. So my next step was like, okay, I had this drive. I wanted to be CEO of a movie studio. And then I started to know, (laughs) you know, the, the folks at the top and realize this is not what I want. I thought I wanted this, but I was willing to change. And luckily, you know, around that time I was getting my master's in spiritual psychology and I was coming out of being an atheist and, And so literally dropping like the ego and the atheist stuff at the same time and really many ways finding these spiritual principles that actually felt like true, real truth to me helped so much. And so today success, I mean, the horse has helped me to find success is simply doing what you love. Um, I would define, I've evolved besides doing what you love to really being love. So Mm -hmm. doing what you love is a form of success for sure but being love to me is really success. And honestly, I'm in a journey with it. Like I am now asking myself a question every day, which is like, how can I be more loving today with myself and others? You know, and some days I just don't feel like I'm like, uh, you know, I'm more introverted or whatever, but it's like, that's success for me today. How can I be love? And what I love about that is pun intended is that it is a purpose that you can embody unconditionally and independently of external reward or can, or other factors, right? Like you could, you can live this as a practice every day. And I think that's, that's a big takeaway for me um, that I I've been working on a similar path myself because I think I've come out of a well-intentioned teaching that's more masculine based around purpose and purpose can be this externalized thing that essentially represents maybe a little more impactful version of status. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm not trying to minimize, you know, the, the people who have taught me that it's the, like I said, a lot of good stuff is happening and I think it's great, but I think to mistake that is a problem. And I think maybe there's a paradox and people who have achieved status success actually are at a disadvantage in a way. And I, I'd love to get your take on this because I think you've held a high status level that, there is a seductive trapping to actually succeeding Mm. um, that can help distance somebody from the embodied beingness of purpose of which you speak. Yeah, I think you're really right on that. And I think there is, so I did my TEDx talk on the pursuit of perfectionism, but really in many ways for me, it was about the pursuit of success. And what I found fascinating and what kind of lit me up 
I was actually at World Domination Summit when it happened in Oregon. And I was walking down the street with my best friend since I was a kid. And I was like, why is it that all these high level successful people want to leave their their careers at some point they want to just do something else and they want to give it up and and you know there's a part of me that's like we've worked so hard for that path why would we let it go and then I was also in this place of why do people like why do people get dissatisfied right like what's that about and I (laughs) sometimes those of us who are more driven or more ambitious have we are I don't want to say we're harder to please but we can be we, we can have high expectations. And so it's like letting go of, you know, a lot of this desire to have things or to feel like to fill this kind of void or emptiness. And I, I guess that's the thing I see sometimes with people who are driven and, he, and hit a level of status and success is they get to that point where they're like, oh, okay, great. I did all that. Now what? Right. And then they start to backpedal and go, well, I don't really want all this stuff but what do I want? And you know what? I just call that like the success trap is another form of a spiritual awakening and great. Mm. Have it however you want. That's how it was for me. My clients go through divorce. They'll go through other things for it. But that is, that was it for me. It was like, you know, career has provided a spiritual awakening and it's been great, you know? And back to your point on purpose. I love that you say that because I do think we get, we use it as another thing to be like, oh, I don't, I don't know what I want or I don't know who I am, which is I don't have a purpose. And on the simple level, our purpose is to love, right? Our purpose is to grow. And we do that every day and we can do more of that, right? We can focus on that. Um, And then what do you like spending your time with? And what, you know, how are you using your gifts and being of service is another form of purpose. But at the end of the day, like my intuition has really gotten clear of nothing is really required of me. Like, I don't have to, like, if I didn't work with the horses, I'd be sad because I love it and I love being of service, but it's like my purpose is a, as a being, right? You can call it a soul, you can call it however you want. My purpose is, as a being is to, is to love. And so if I, that's my focus, then of course I'm going to choose a career path or a life for people that I love. And so it, I don't know, I didn't expect us to go down this, this road at all, Jesse, but <laughs> think it's interesting because, um, yeah, it's like if you, if people really sat and got honest with themselves, they, they would start to see where things are full for them or, and light and where things are empty and, and heavy. And I think we just, um, we keep ourselves too busy sometimes to really, to really realize those what's true for us. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I appreciate you walking down this path with me because you're helping me integrate some of what I you know, what I brought up earlier around being impression informed. And I think what I'm, <clears throat> what I'm putting together about our conversation on purpose and what I like about the beingness of purpose, if we can call it that, is that it doesn't require an income. It doesn't require a skin color or a status or a national origin <laughs> or even, even a, um, you know, you can do it with various physical abilities. So I really like where you're going with that. And I hope people take from this that it's okay. I mean, it's okay to have external success. Um, I'm I'm certainly not trying to promote something other than that, but I I also want the idea of purpose and success to be something that is available 
to everyone because I, like you, I think really, really believe that the best thing that we can do for the world is to be the fullest expression of our highest functioning self. Um, and everything will come from that because if we listen to that part of ourselves and we keep practicing that every day, then the ego levels and the decision-making levels and how we fit into the world, like that's just kind of details to me. Does that seem fair? It does. And I think what's so neat about this time in history is that people, and I love, and I love the millennials for this too and everything. It's like, we have this opportunity to get more focused on what's real and what's true. And, um, you know, I, I'm grateful for all the generations that came before that they did like they had to, they had to work really hard just mm-hmm. to even be here just to survive. And so that's that conversation of privilege as well. And it's like, they did what they could. And then they, I'm so grateful. I got my hard work stuff from my parents and also that, you know, redefining what, what hard is and why, why does it have to be hard work? Why can't we have, why can't we learn through joy? Why can't we have work that's joyful? Um, and people can see things now like so much more easily than before. Right. So what's funny is when I had all this status, I didn't even really have social media for it in the way that we do now, 10 years later. And, and so it was like, you know, the whole, there was, I don't even know why I cared. It was like trying to prove something most likely to my parents, cause there was no world to prove it to. But now we have to be even more careful. Like we're not doing things to prove to people anything. We're already enough. And if we live from that space and we do things that make us happy, people are inspired. People tell me all the time they're inspired by the work I do because they can tell how happy it makes me and how on purpose it feels to me. And that is inspiration for them to do the same thing in their lives. And that's so much more important than someone being like, oh, great, you just got an EVP role and you're making like 300K. Like that, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm okay it you have to be someone to get that but you also like it's like is that is that making you happy on the inside like is mm-hmm. if it is great but i think it's really there's a distinction of really checking in with our why why are we doing things or am i trying to prove this or to someone or not you know i like that you're honoring the the privilege that we even have the bandwidth to look at that whereas Right. Past, past generations, you know, didn't even have the space to consider this level. But I think what's important about privilege is that if we have the bandwidth to consider the why, and this is the whole conversation for me, is that my why has to align with taking advantage of the privilege I have to serve the community at large or the world at large in a way that is life serving rather than life extracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or resource extracting, you know? And I think in our work too, it's like knowing who we most want to serve is really important as well, right? Like who are we, you know, destined to really serve? And, and that's one thing I love about companies is they create a product or service and then they know who it's for and they're creating solutions, right? I mean, that, that's one of the reasons I think companies are brilliant. They're really in many ways here to be creating solutions. And then us as coaches, it's the same. And then knowing who are we most supposed to impact and influence. And it's really based on our own unique backgrounds and skills and expertise. But I think that that knowing who we're really supposed to be working with is important because so many people can get kind of lost in trying to serve everyone, again, as a form of proving something, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, 
versus really honing in on like who is that 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 group or that niche or that that uh, clientele that's really right for you. Yeah. All right. So if um, let's bring it back for a second, and and this is in the context of helping people really understand um, everything they can about the horses. So <clears throat> to you, Kate Nelligan, what might it look like if horses replaced humans as the dominant species on the planet? Uh, and by it, I mean like what might, what might the world look like if we could watch on video? <laughs> have you, oh uh, have you asked, I feel like either you've asked me this before or someone else has and someone, I, I, I don't um, think I have. You haven't. <laughs> someone asked me once on, I, on another podcast, like what, I what? think you're the, you're the per- perfect person to answer it. Maybe that's Ugh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll try my best, but someone once asked me what happened if horses were to take over the world, right? Like they were to be <laughs> our leaders, like our, you know, um, <laughs> oh, that's another good one. But um, yes. I don't know if they would want to replace us. I mean, I don't think they, I know they don't want to replace us. There's no, no, of course not. And if they let's, let's just say they like, us, they backed into it default. <laughs> replaced us you know you would see you would see a few things if you were to watch from above you would see a lot of meditation you'd see a lot of hanging out in a very connected group you just see a lot of that you'd see a lot of um play right and you would see a lot of, of bonding and a lot of like caretaking nurturing of themselves and each other's and um they have like nature does a very simple system that works and it is it's why they've been here on the planet longer than us right and they know they know how to survive and thrive we're the ones that get in the way and uh it wouldn't look like i don't think it would look like much is going on right 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 i was gonna say a lot of that to the to to most of us would look like (laughs) air quotes inactivity you know yeah I mean, that's what people see a lot of the time is they will, they love watching horses because they're just, they love watching them just munch food because it's just something so simple and beautiful and still about Mm. them. And that stillness is really what we need more of all of us. And and horses will always often say like, get still, be still. So you would see a lot of that and it would feel really peaceful to watch that because, um, it is a relaxed, it's an, it is a relaxed nervous system. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think it would look beautiful. And I think I would, I would miss humans and I think they would too. I think they really, they love working with us. They want to be our partners in what we could call ascension, but essentially in the evolution of earth, which is all of us together. Yeah. It's beautifully said. Thank you for that. That'd be a fun, like, I don't know, painting or something. <laughs> somebody could, somebody, if somebody's listening is inspired to do that, we want to see like the really positive Planet of the Apes version of like Planet of the Equine. <laughs> oh my God, yes. <clears throat> yes. And Maybe. I think there's got to be a planet somewhere where there are just like horses, <laughs> low being, humanish beings that look like or act like horses, but yeah. Well, some hard too sometimes the half man half horse and I think that's fascinating. Mm. Yeah, that's above my pay grade, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I I'm gonna leave that to the um, tantric 
anthrobiologist. Um, my, what you're saying is really beautiful. And I'm, I'm so much, I want to like live in that more spiritual depth of it. I also want to say for people that I believe, and this is secondhand, but I believe horses, horse brains have a bit of executive functioning and they have a small prefrontal cortex. You can correct me if I'm wrong so I can edit it. But I, I took a natural lifemanship training and they were talking about the horse brain. And the exciting thing about this is if it's true that they have a little bit of a prefrontal cortex, what, what's most likely true is over the last thousands of years in the human horse relationship, we've never really given them a chance as a species to develop that part of their brains. It's always you know, been dominance based, right? Um, with humans. <clears throat> so this, I've been working with this concept that's, that's illuminating for me of just giving them a chance to think for a second. Mm. And I like the way that you spoke earlier about that it, it's already evolving and you've been in this long enough to see that it's changing already. And I'm really excited to see what's possible from a, an interspecies relationship that has a, a goal of mutual aid in terms of sentient development. Can you imagine what's going to happen as horses start to go through generations of building that executive functioning? And we don't even know what they're capable of, but we know they're thinking. And, I'm, and I know they're not, they're not alone in this, but just in terms of being the sort of the mammal that we are engaging with this way, that's exciting to me in sort of that yeah. planet of the horses painting. I love it. Yeah. I think it is, there's so much we don't know about them. And I've asked them before, like how they feel about that. To a large extent, I get the sense that they are okay, that a lot of their gifts are very secretive. It's like, you know, it, it's, I was just having a conversation about nuclear technology the other day. And it's like, there's sometimes it's like better that not everyone knows about these technologies because, you know, we, we don't, um, we need to bring consciousness to things that are somewhat advanced or can really change things very quickly. And the horses can, as we know. So it's, my thing is I am passionate about educating people to understand the horse and revere them and also know their differences between, you know, them being horses and us being humans. Um, but to really respect them in this work. And I've seen as, and you, you know, I've talked about this before, like there are people in our space that are really respecting the horses at a high level and doing their best to understand them. And there are others that are really doing this work primarily just for the benefit of the humans. And the horses have to put up with stuff. And I, I'm very passionate about really getting us to understanding the equality of all species and that we are all on this earth together. We all have the same home. And while we may not be the same in terms of our thinking and our brains and whatnot, we are all valuable, every single being on this planet. And if we could have that reverence for life, that would be, that's one of the reasons why I do what I do is to get people to respect themselves, respect the horses and respect the world, because that's, that's a game changer. You know, then maybe earth has a chance of surviving. Huh. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, earth will, but. <laughs> yes, that's true. Earth, earth actually said she's fine and she's not going yeah. anywhere, but we should get her stuff. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so. Beautiful. So beautiful. Um, is there anything that we haven't spoken to that you'd like to mention? Oh gosh. I mean, the horses are endless as you know, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, um, 
there's there's just entry points with them right so it's like do we want to learn leadership from them great right and i know you're so passionate about that and then do we want to learn about our energy from them right and being in this kind of spiritual space and um our thoughts and our mindset and that's an entry point there's an entry point you know around relationship and learning from them as a herd and and for couples and for families. And what is so neat about this work is you can really, and, and there is work on their backs that is to be done with the horses that want to do it, to have the somatic experiences and to have, you know, riding or, or mounted experiences with horses as well that brings up beautiful lessons. So it's really, I just think what's so neat about it is um, it's there for lots of different people. I truly believe it can help anyone and everyone. And I just want people to stay open long enough to just try it and get brave and try it, you know, wherever they are, whatever location they're in, to give themselves the gift of a very unique form of learning and personal and professional development. Awesome. Yeah. I did remember one question. I'm trying to remember to ask everybody this season. I think I've forgotten a couple of a couple of my people. What current leaders um, in the world do you really look up to? And it does not have to be someone who's well-known. could be your mom um, or someone like that. I do look up to my mom sometimes. Um, <laughs> I would say it just because she really embodies a mother archetype in a way I've not seen on the planet, which I love. And I think that energy is really healing for a lot of people. Um, the horses are definitely my leaders. They understand leadership in a way that is mind blowing to me and, and, um, that I learned so much from them about my own leadership, uh, just even on the subtle level of things I do and say that I don't need to be doing and saying anymore. And I can upgrade right through choice. Uh, but the humans that I love, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, you know, for me, it's always been the Dalai Lama. And I think it's just because he embodies so much joy and compassion. And I just love his giggles. Like I could feel the man's energy across the stadium when I went to see him live. Um, I've watched his videos and read his books and all that. And I just, I don't know. I just get like, what if we could all be that like giggling and just like, and forgiving. I mean, what he's gone through in his life, he could be so pissed off if he wanted to be, but mm. that's the power of choice. Right. And so that's what I love for people is it's like, yeah, so you've been through trauma or you've been through challenges or you've been through betrayal. You've been through hurt. You've been through grief. You've been through loss. Most of us can say we've experienced that stuff. Right. And it's not fun. I don't wish it on anyone. It's awful. And does it strengthen us? Does it allow us to get more in touch with our joy or does it actually keep us blocked or stuck or keep us in that place where we continue the program that we deserve that right versus really seeing what else is possible and having lost two horses and going through a lot of grief you know what came out of that was just knowing how strong i am and knowing that joy is what i want and to commit to that as their legacy it's what they'd want for me too Mm. so yeah it's a combo of of leaders and then hopefully one day i will look up to myself as a leader (laughs) but i'm (sighs) in progress i know other people do look up to me but i think i'm still a work in progress and putting myself on the same level as the horses and the dalai lama but i'm i'm doing the best that i can with that so are you saying you need to see yourself on the same level as the horses and dalai lama to consider yourself a leader no to (laughs) 
to see myself as one of the top leaders that I admire. Uh, got it. Yeah. yeah. No, I see myself as a leader. It's just seeing myself as the one of the top leaders that I admire. I am becoming more horse-like, and because of that, I'm proud of myself, but I'm not, you know, exactly where I'd like to be yet, and that's okay, because I know it's a journey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I'll be excited if I, if in this lifetime I get to, to the level where I feel like I would put myself right up alongside the Dalai Lama and the horses. <laughs> yeah, sounds like an awesome goal. How can people connect with your work and support you in what you're doing? Yeah, thank you. So on social Facebook, there's an equine rock stars group. And then my website is consciousrockstar.com. And you can Google Kate Nelligan with one L. People often think it's two, but uh, you can also find me that way. And I can travel to location in addition to mostly being in Colorado and California quite a bit. Yeah. And if you're listening to this um, a few months past the production date, um, sounds like there may be a new URL. So we'll check, check the production notes on that and we'll make sure we keep it up to date if you want to see the awesome work Kate's up to. I highly recommend checking her out. And I just want to say on a personal note, you have been so living some of this leadership, <clears throat> even in the fact that connecting with me, which at one time Kate and I were just random people who had a common friend and <laughs> you, you've been generous enough to spend, you know, multiple hours really su supporting me and, and having fun conversations about the equine world as, as I've sort of um, immersed in it the last few years. So I really appreciate the way you've showed up with your generosity. Oh, thank you. I appreciate hearing that. And I think it's awesome that you've dove into so much learning and, and mentorship and um, really just going for it because I was just telling someone earlier today, like the best way to start is to just start is to go for it. Not wait until you feel like you're ready. You're you may never feel that way, but to just start, which is what you did. And that's awesome. And then also when you do, I've had some great mentors and I know you have too now and it's life changing when we can have people that support us. So that's another tidbit for people is if you feel like you need a mentor, put it out there, find one. I'm happy to serve in that way too. It's something I really will be growing more of in the future is mentoring folks that want to do more of this work because it's important work. Beautiful. Look her up. If you're in if you're in Colorado in the Boulder County area, go check out some of her awesome public events. Um, I know we have some Colorado listeners. So Kate Nelligan, Equine Partnered Life and Career Coach. Thank you so much for being a guest and taking giving us your time and then also for all the amazing work you're doing in the world. Thank you, Jesse. I appreciate it. Find out more about Kate's work at consciousrockstar.com. I'll leave you with the Supergiver's leadership question of the day. In what way are you already a leader in your life? And what is something you can do starting tomorrow to be a more conscious leader? This has been the Supergiver's podcast, and I'm your host and producer, Jesse Johnson. If you like what you're hearing and would like to support the show, you can do so with one of three simple actions. You can write a five-star review on iTunes, you can tell a friend about the show, or you can subscribe and listen to another episode on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or TuneIn. You can learn more about me and my equine-based leadership work at supergivers.com. Thanks for listening.